This is Fine Rambles, number 46. So I'm back on the road somewhere between Oklahoma City and Memphis, which means more Lyft stories. I'm going to leave out names and places just, you know, out of fear of doxing someone. So the first guy, he spent 12 years working on crew boats that would take oil workers out to the platforms. He would get up at 3.30 in the morning, and they were supposed to work 12 hours on, 12 off, but they jerry-rigged it to work 36 on, 48 off, and then he would drive home. The oil workers, he said, they'd have to swing from the boat to the platform, and the platform was 12 feet above sea level. So the platform would swing a rope out to them, they would grab it, haul themselves up, and swing back, and uh, <laughs> they had to aim right or they, uh, they went into the ocean. There was a drug policy for the oil workers where they were tested weekly, including alcohol, so very strict. For them, they did seven days on, seven days off, and he said, you know, it's a tough life, but they got paid very well. So over those 12 years, he put 310,000 miles on his Toyota Tacoma. Second guy, this is an Iraqi Christian refugee who came here in 2007 with his wife and four children. When he was in Iraq, his life was threatened for being Christian. His daughter harassed. She was forced to wear the hijab. He described Iraq... Again, this is back in 2007, as completely lawless. His brother was attending church one day, and they came in and just killed everyone. So he went to interview with the UN, and I was just imagining that scene, trying to convince some some bureaucrats across a desk to let you leave your country and come to the States and essentially save your children's lives. Anyways, he... He rides for Lyft 5.30 in the morning until 2 while his wife works at a daycare. I asked him about immigration, given his experience, and he thinks it needs to be controlled. He knows ISIS members who came to the U.S. as refugees. Okay, next guy. He was a translator for the Americans in Afghanistan, and it took them seven years to get him his visa. And during this entire time, the Taliban were actively hunting him. They'd call him up and threaten him. So he had to keep moving between homes, between friends. Finally, he got so sick of it, he just flew to Iran. And then he migrated or just walked to England, where he had uncles but wasn't allowed to work. They finally got him his visa, and then he came to the U.S. 18 months ago with his three children. The, uh, the part of town he lives in, he says several of his cousins live there, which is very helpful. There's a good support network. He said also a lot of the translators and other people who helped America in Afghanistan live in this same area. Next guy, he's from, oh boy, I'm going to mispronounce this. He's from Yatusk in Siberia on the Lena, Lena River. 300,000 people, and he described it as very cold. He met his wife in college in Siberia. They moved to the U.S. together. They spent a year in Brooklyn where he only spoke Russian. 
There's 500,000 Russians in Brooklyn, especially in Crown Heights. Then he, uh, he moved to another part of the country, and he likes this area better because he gets to speak more English. Okay, the next guy, he, uh, he's Hispanic, and he said when he goes to Europe as a tourist, when he says he's a Mexican, they treat him better than when he says he's an American. He was talking about how illegal immigrants get exploited. They pay taxes, but often, for example, he would say the foreman at a job would get illegals together and then rob them of their earnings and then split the take with the boss. Or the foreman would simply threaten them with ICE on payday. And he said, you know, this is the rich setting the poor against the poor. They hire one poor group to keep the others in line. Okay, next guy. He came here from Karachi, Pakistan in 2009. The chain was like this. His, un his uncle-in-law came first 20 years ago. Then that man got his sister in. Then she got her daughter in. <laughs> and then she got her husband in. And that's this guy. It was five years to get a spouse in because she was not a U.S. citizen yet. She only had a green card. She came because of health issues. She had five miscarriages in Pakistan. She came here, she had one miscarriage, and then the next daughter survived. They went to a good doctor every four days during the pregnancy. He said the first couple months as an immigrant are the hardest. It's hard to get U.S. dollars given the exchange rate. And then it takes a few months to get a social security card. And you can't get a job without that number. So you're forced to stay with relatives or friends. But, you know, after a while, <laughs> they, they eventually kick you out. As a result, you burn through your money. Now, he worked at a jack-in-the-box as a cashier for six months while he was an engineer at Honda back in Pakistan. Then he learned to drive a car. He'd only had a motorcycle back home, and he was a courier. Then he did Super Shuttle, which I think is for college kids, and now he's driven for Lyft for three and a half years, 17,000 trips in total. I asked him why given his higher status back in Pakistan, he would come to the States and he just looked at me like I was insane and said, you know, <laughs> he told me some stories about what goes on in Pakistan, how there are rolling brownouts, how there's no opportunity. Anyways, uh, the next guy, very interesting story. So his father would hit him, not beat, but hit a couple smacks when he knew he'd fucked up. There was no anger or emotion when his dad hit him. It was simply cause and effect. And his father hit him and his brother, and they're both straight and narrow. Then his dad stopped. His younger siblings did not get hit. And he said they're wild, they're out of control, and they don't have their lives sorted out. Now this man, he said he used to slap his daughter's hand, but he stopped. She was becoming protective of her hand. Now he never hits his son, but he warns them about how he got hit and the need to be disciplined. Next guy, he worked overseas for 20 years, 4,000 rides, seven bad reviews, all, <laughs> all Gen Z women 
who were angry getting into his car and angry getting out. For example, they would blame him for the traffic. He talked about how evil the big tech companies are. Facebook, Google, Bezos, no one likes them. The workers are hungry and these men are worth, you know, $100 billion. It's like the Waltons with Walmart. He says they claim to be philanthropists, but they don't pay their workers a living wage. That's where they should start. He thinks they're just chasing bragging rights for being the richest. After his time overseas, he sees Americans as provincial. He thinks we've been fed this line about exceptionalism so long we believe it. But we're not better than anyone else. Next person, she moved from Tehran in 2005. She's still a citizen, so she can go back and forth pretty easily. But if she tried to work for either government, she'd be put in prison immediately. She said after the 1979 revolution, revolution, the people of the Shah, including the Savik, the secret police, went to Los Angeles and they bought up Beverly Hills. Then lately, the people associated with the mullah have been going to Toronto and doing the same thing. She says this is the rule for any country that goes through a regime change. She says the Venezuelans are doing it right now. She also laments that all the, quote, genocide attention goes to the Holocaust. She was saying, you know, what about the Armenians? What about the Rohingya? What about the, uh, oh boy, I'm going to mispronounce this, the uh, Uyghurs in China? What about South Sudan? What about the Yazidi in Iraq right now? She said, no one cares about them. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm over time. I have a couple more stories, but I'll save them for next time. I hope you guys have a great week.